listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbo. God is good and all the time. If you're happy and you know it, say amen. Amen. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Luke chapter 9. Welcome to everyone watching online. And if this is your first time watching us online, thank you for joining us here at Central. And if you are a long-time watcher, uh, but not a yet attender, we love you and we can't wait for that opportunity to see you soon. Luke chapter 9, verse 28 is where we're going to be. And church family, I have some just some great news I want to share with you. One of our partners uh, uh, in Western Europe is reaching uh, North African Middle Easterners for Christ. And we are, you may not be aware of this yet, um, but we are helping uh, at least uh, three church planters in Western Europe plant churches all among North African Middle Easterners. And here's something, because of your generosity, uh, this week they're going to be purchasing a baptistry because they've got so many new believers, they need to baptize them. Amen? And so in the midst of coronavirus, in the midst of lockdown, the gospel is not bound. And you are a part of that. And so they're buying a portable jacuzzi. Amen? For Jesus. And uh, jacuzzi for Jesus. Maybe we should get one here. Stand as we read God's Word, Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved, or this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. You may be seated. It's Valentine's Day, and I hope that you haven't forgotten. Uh, If you, uh, maybe some of you want to forget, I I don't know. But it's supposed to be a day that we celebrate love and romance, and it's also that weekend that stores and restaurants wait for every year so that they can make a lot of money. Now, for maybe some of you that are single uh, and you uh, don't necessarily want to be single, this is probably maybe the worst day of the year for you. Someone said that today is National Singles Awareness Day. For those of you who are in a relationship, (laughs) it can go one of two ways, Valentine's Day. It can be very successful or it can go as an epic failure. Uh, My prayer is, is that, uh, gentlemen, you were wise today. But in thinking of relationships, the key to any relationship is trust. 
if you don't trust the other person, you're going to struggle to have a real relationship with him, right? I mean, trust is so paramount. And, and here's what I always share with people in marriage counseling, and especially in pre-marriage counseling, is that trust should be slowly given, but it's also easily broken. And so this morning, as we're thinking about this whole idea of relationships and love and trust, the biggest question when it comes to your relationship with Jesus is this, do I really trust Jesus? You know, we can sing all we want of how much we trust him. We can sing all we want of how much we love him, but do we fundamentally trust him? Because listen, you will never follow him in faith and lifestyle and help others do the same if you don't trust Jesus. Jesus here is training his disciples in Luke chapter 9 to make disciples, but he's also preparing them for the future. Uh, as we are going to read, uh, we also have another section to cover that we didn't read this morning. What we're going to see is that Jesus is going to prepare them by constantly reminding them that it's not who they are that matters, but it's who he is. It's who he is that enables you to do what he's called you to do. Remember those three convictions that we've talked about that when Jesus uh, gave that great commission to, the, to his disciples and to us today. And we said that those three con uh, convictions are that, well, number one, God wants to use me. Number two, God has empowered me. And number three, God is with me. And if we are going to uh, do what God has called us to do and, and live in that uh, freedom of that, then we need to really trust him. And so what Jesus Jesus does in this text to them then and to us today is to lovingly show us that he is worthy of our trust, that he's worthy in the good times and he's worthy in the bad times. Because here's what I want you to learn this morning. The same Jesus who is the God on the mountain in his glory is the same God in the valley with his grace. The same Jesus who is God on the mountain in his glory is the same God in the valley with his grace. Let's look at that this morning and praise God, we're going to hopefully get done in time. Number one, the glory of Jesus on the mountain. Verse number 28, the Bible says, now about eight days. Now, there are some uh, debate here on when the exact time signature is. The, the, the key is about eight days. In the Greek manuscript, it can be kind of nebulous. Mark tells us that it is six days. The question is, why is it significant about this time signature? Here's why. Because to the Jewish audience, that six days signifies something. Because Moses went on Mount Sinai for six days. And after six days, right then, where there was the greatest revelation of God in the Old Testament, where the glory of God appeared and spoke to Moses in Exodus chapter 24. So to the Jewish readers, especially in Mark's gospel, and even in Matthew's gospel, the idea of this six days is pointing them to something. It is pointing them that Jesus is a greater Moses. It is pointing us to a greater Moses in Jesus who has come to provide a greater exodus for the people of God. An exodus not just from the bondage of slavery, but an exodus from the bondage of sin through his death, which is a better Passover, and through his resurrection. So here what we see here is that Jesus here, I'm, after this Six day, which is six days from Peter's confession. Uh, he now is going to take his disciples, but he's, he's going to do something that, that he actually talked about in verse 27. In verse 27, here's what he said before this account. He says, look at this, what it says. But I tell you that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. <clears throat> at first glance, 
it seems here that Jesus has promised them that, he, that they were going to, some of them were going to see the power and glory of God and the kingdom of God before they die. And at first glance, it seems that Jesus is saying that some of you are going to see me return in power. And so one of the questions on the disciples' mind was this, when is this going to be? Will I be one of these chosen ones? When will I see the glory of Jesus? And so now we go into verse 28, and it's about eight days, and Jesus, after these sayings, that Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. This is his inner circle. This is his small, small group. And you know, it's amazing that Peter, James, and John, if you read the gospel accounts, they saw a lot of cool things. And maybe you think, well, that's not very fair. These guys got to see all the cool things. Well, here's one thing you have to understand. Fairness is not a biblical value, okay? Now, what we see here is that mountains are a place of great revelation, and, and, but yet these three guys, Peter, James, and John, were not prepared for what they were going to see. The Bible says here in verse 29 that as he was praying, Jesus would take these men on, on hour-long, hours-long prayer, prayer nights for, that would last all night long into the middle of the night, and the Bible tells us that Jesus has taken Peter, James, and John, and they're struggling to stay awake, okay? Have you ever been to church and struggled to stay awake? Some of you are right there right now, you know, um, and just realize I'm going to call on you to pray if I see you not enough. But here Jesus has taken them up there and the Bible says that while he was praying and they were almost asleeping, uh, they were asleep. Uh, the Bible says that the, that the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. It seems here that he has changed form. Jesus looked like Jesus, but he looked differently. This is metamorphosis. As you read the other uh, uh, gospel writers, it seems here that his glory took a metaphysical form, that in this moment, his glory burst out of him. The veil of his humanity was lifted, and the glory that was once concealed was now revealed. Someone said that holiness is glory concealed and glory is holiness revealed. Another commentator said this, he says, the transfiguration is Christ's divinity bursting forth in his humanity. But here's what else this commentator said. He said, the real miracle, however, is not that Jesus's disciples saw his glory, but that for 33 years, Jesus had concealed his glory. And so he says here, the commentator says that Jesus, in this moment, on this mountain, is pressing pause on the miracle of the incarnation so that his disciples could see who he really was. Now, Matthew and Mark and Luke all kind of describe it differently. Matthew says that his face shone like the sun. Luke says, or Mark says that his clothing was whiter than anything Clorox bleach could whiten. That's in a newer translation. Just came out. Mark says that it was whiter than anything that bleach could, could make white. Luke here says that he, he dazzled, not bedazzled, but he dazzled. Uh, some, uh, you can translate that, he looked like lightning. Now, what you get here is that he doesn't just reflect the, the brightness of the glory of God, but he is the brightness of the glory of God. See, Moses, when he saw the glory of God, his face shone. You remember that? They, he, he was so bright, he, he looked like a big LED light that was on full blast. And so they had to put a curtain over Moses' face because he shone so bright. But that glory that Moses was shining wasn't his own, but it was just a reflection of the glory of God. But Jesus himself is not a reflection. Jesus himself is the glory. Hebrews chapter 1 says 
this in verse number three, that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Psalm 104 verse two says that you, O God, are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment. And John 1 14, John says, for we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace in truth. Think about this. Jesus uh, asked Peter six days earlier, who do people say that I am? And six days earlier from this episode, Peter declared the gospel. He said that you are God's Messiah King who has come to right every wrong and provide us a way back to God. At that great confession, uh, Peter declared the gospel, but here at the transfiguration, Jesus demonstrated the gospel. The gospel does not just stop at the crucifixion. The gospel stops at the resurrection and ultimately the restoration of all things. Think about this. Jesus has been telling them that the next stop is suffering in the cross. Over and over again, Jesus says, the next stop for me is Jerusalem. And there I'm going to suffer. And there I'm going to be betrayed. And there I'm going to be crucified. But yet what he is also doing on this mountain is he is vividly showing them that the cross is not the end of his story and the cross is not the end of your story. Because what he is teaching here is this, is that yes, I will suffer and die, but I will rise again and one day I'm going to crack open the sky and return and save those that are mine and I'm going to make everything sad untrue. So Jesus here is blazing in this glory that he has been concealing for 33 years. And yet it's not even in its fullness because if it was Jesus in his full glory, they would all be dead. And as this is going on, I mean, think about a prayer meeting that they're going on, going through right now, that while this is happening, two dudes show up. Moses and Elijah. Now these aren't just some random guys. These Both of these men have been dead for centuries. Both of these men had significant achievements on the mountains, but but these weren't just randomly chosen. You have Moses, who at that time was known as the prophet, the greatest prophet, and he represented the law. Then you had Elijah, who was known as the greatest prophet outside of Moses, who represented the prophets. And so as Peter, James, and John saw Moses and Elijah, they, they were like Buddy the Elf when he saw Santa Claus. We know him. I know him. Now, here's something else. This is going to really bless your heart. I want you to think about this. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses asked God to see his glory. You remember that? That was a prayer request. And what we see is that Moses asked God to show him his glory. And 1,500 years later, his prayer was still being answered in the person of Jesus. Some of y'all been praying for stuff for years. And listen, Moses asked for God to see his glory, for God to show him his glory. And 1,500 years later, God's still answering that prayer. Do you realize that some of the prayers that your great, 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 great grandpappy prayed and great, 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 great grandmama prayed are being answered today in you? God is doing the work. Now, why were these guys here? To bear witness to the gospel. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Great book. Paul says, now... But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. What is this righteousness? That someone can be right with God apart from keeping the law because no one can keep it on their own. 
although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The law and the prophets bear witness of Jesus in this moment that he has come to be the fulfillment of all that they had written about. And so when Peter and John and James saw that, what would you do if you saw that? Jesus in his glory, Moses and Elijah there, you would be speechless. But Peter isn't. I think the reason that Jesus called Peter to be his disciple is to help us not feel so bad about ourselves. Peter is always talking. He always has to put his two cents in. And it would have been best for him to say nothing at all. Because remember, Peter just kind of woke up from the prayer meeting. You'll catch that one in a moment. Verse 32, now when Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. The two men stood with him, and as the men were parting, Peter said to Jesus, Master, Lord, it is good that we are here. You think? Peter here is speaking without thinking. Mark says that he did not know what to say. Here's the deal, Pickles. If you don't know what to say, it's best to say nothing. I know that from experience. It is better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. And this is what Peter did. So he says, Lord, it is so good that we are here. Let us make three tents. Let us... Let us make a campground right here on top of the mountain. We'll call it Camp, camp Joy, Camp Glory. We'll, we'll, it'll be awesome. But what you kind of get here is that Peter asserts himself into a conversation he wasn't really invited to. This was an A-B conversation, so Peter should have saw himself out. But what you get in this moment, the reason why he says, let's make these three tents is because Peter wanted to freeze the moment. He wanted to bottle the glory. He wanted to prolong the experience. He wanted to keep that feeling going that he was experiencing. He says, listen, let's forget what's happening in the world and let's just stay here on top of this mountain and camp forever. It's like, Jesus, it is good that we are here. Can we just stay here? And the Bible says in verse 34 that as he was saying these things, in other translations, as he was talking, he wouldn't shut up. A cloud came and overshadowed. Now, we understand that this cloud represented the Shekinah glory of God, the glory cloud. It, it was the cloud that hovered over, the, over the, 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 the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies in the Day of Atonement. It, it was a picture of God's presence, and God's presence in, in, in that moment was so holy that if you were to come into it, you would destroy you. And yet now they just saw Jesus and they just saw Moses and Elijah and Peter's here running his mouth and all of a sudden there's this big cloud that comes and yet the cloud comes and the disciples don't die and they hear a voice that says, this is my son, my chosen one. This is a declaration of his divinity. People say, the Bible doesn't say that Jesus is God. Well, you don't get any clearer than that. As a matter of fact, Deuteronomy chapter 18 is a, a prophecy of Moses in which Moses says that one day there's going to be a prophet who is to come, the prophet, 
And at the end, at the very end, we kind of skim over most people in this prophecy, but it says, and you will listen to him. Jesus says, this is my son, my chosen son, listen to him. In the Greek, it's in the emphatic, listen to him and him only. In other words, God the Father said from heaven, shut up and listen to him. Here's what you have to understand. No other voice should be louder or more influential to you than the voice of Jesus. So many times we allow other voices to influence us. We allow the culture's voice, a politician's voice, our family's voice, our friend's voice, our critic's voice, even our own voice. And that becomes more impacting to us than what Jesus has said to us. But listen, it doesn't matter what they say. It only matters what he says. See, I'm convinced that we as a church don't just have a hearing problem, we have a listening problem. We hear what we want to hear and we don't hear what we should hear. But today we can hear what God says to us through his son, but we don't necessarily listen. Today you're going to maybe hear what I have to say, but it doesn't really mean anything to you. And the reason why we don't listen is because we're too busy talking. Some people, somebody asked me, Does God speak to you? And I told him, yes. I said, audibly? I said, yeah, kind of. And they said, how? I said, well, I opened this book and I read it out loud. And that's the voice of God. Has God spoken to you? Yes. The Bible says in these last days through his son, through his word. I'm not talking about some existential experience that may or may not have happened. I'm talking about through the Word of God. His voice should be the voice you're listening to. And then notice, as soon as this happens, immediately after the Father spoke, only Jesus remained. I think that's so important here. Moses was gone. Elijah was gone. Only Jesus was there. Why? Because Peter had maybe put Moses and Elijah on the same plane as Jesus. That's why they all wanted to have the same tents. But what he's saying here, what God is saying here is that, listen, Moses and Elijah are not the point. Jesus is the point. Jesus remains because only Jesus can give you what you really need. Moses and Elijah were shadows. Jesus is the substance. So there's the glory of Jesus on the mountain. But then I want you to see the second point. The grace of Jesus in the valley. In verse 37, I'm going to go ahead and read all these verses and then come back and walk through it. The Bible says, on the next day when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out and convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and scatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast him out, but they could not. And Jesus answered, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy gave him back to his father, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. 
The next day, the morning after, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus have come down from the mountain to the valley. Remember, Peter said, let's stay here and have a camp meeting. Jesus said, no, we're going to go. Here's why. Life and ministry are not lived on the mountain. Life and ministry are lived in the valley. So here they go. They go back to reality. And it is a mess down in the valley. You have a scene here where the other gospel writers tell us that the other nine disciples were now in a religious argument, a denominational argument, with the scribes and Pharisees over how to exercise demons. You do this. No, you do this. We've done this before. You don't know what you're talking about. And it went on and on and on. And while these guys were arguing, while the church was arguing, here is a man who was desperate for need. Verse 38, this man cried out, saw Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Says, teacher, I beg you, look at my son. He's my only son and he's demon possessed. Here's a dad who is desperate. And he brought his son to to Jesus' disciples for relief, and they didn't help him. And he falls on his face to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, I've heard about you. I've heard about all that you've done, how you healed the sick, how you fed the thousands, how you've calmed the sea, how you've raised the dead. I need your help. Please help me. I have no other options. I have no other hope. Listen, there is no pain like kid pain. When your kids hurt, you hurt, regardless of their hurt. You know, I remember when my kids were born, uh, each and every one of them, I remember that moment. One, it's very awestruck. Uh, one, it's that moment of great responsibility. And two or three, then you just look at them with love and you say, I love you so much. And, and Aaron was this way and Andrew was this way, but then came that little girl. And I remember in that hospital, Winnie Palmer, I remember just saying, I would die for you. And I would make someone die for you. I mean, seriously, I would go to jail if someone hurt you. I would be a prison chaplain from the inside for you. This guy is hurting. He's in pain. This is not some abstract story on a flannel graph. This is a real dad and a real son in real pain. This demon was trying to destroy his kid. The hopes and the dreams that he had for the boy were gone because as this boy got older, the demon took over. And maybe some of you are like that with your kids. Maybe you can relate to that. You've seen your kids go through depression or addiction or or faith struggles, or health struggles, or relationship struggles. And you know what? Some of it actually may be demonic. Demonic oppression. And here this dad is, and he is, he is desperate. He says in verse 40, I begged your disciples to help me, and they couldn't do it. I came looking to help from the church, and the church didn't help me. Sometimes I wonder how many people come to our church looking for help, and they get none. And Jesus looked at them and said, oh, faithless generation. Oh, faithless generation. Verse 41. Not unfaithful, but faithless. See, he's talking to his disciples. These men were clueless to the faithfulness and power of God, and they had an unwillingness to trust him. It's interesting here. You have Peter, James, and John on the mountaintop, and Jesus here in this moment is faced with Peter's spiritual short-sightedness. And here in the valley, 
Jesus is now confronted by the disciples' unbelief. So Jesus looks at them and says, you guys, you just don't get it. Bring the boy here. And so as they brought the boy here, the Bible says that the demon convulsed him, threw him to the ground. Why is that? Because the demon knew who Jesus was. Isn't it interesting that in the, in the gospels, the demons always know who Jesus is first and the religious tend to know who he is last? Jesus rebukes the demon, heals the boy. And the Bible says he gave him back to his father. He saved the boy and he saved the day. And in verse 43, the Bible says, and they were all astonished at the majesty of God. They were awestruck of what Jesus did and who Jesus was, his divine greatness and his wonder. And what you see here is that, the, that Jesus here demonstrated his glory on the mountain, but he also in this moment demonstrated his grace in the valley. Now, as you read the other accounts, you say, well, where's the grace here, Pastor? As you read the other accounts, especially in Mark, you'll, you'll see that the dad who came to Jesus believed in Jesus, but he also struggled to believe in Jesus. In Mark chapter 9, verse 24, Jesus is, he's going to look at Jesus and say, I believe, but help my unbelief. He came to Jesus saying, if you can help me, help me. I have no other options. You are my only hope. Jesus says, if I can, all things are possible to him who believes. And this guy cried out and he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And think about this. This guy had tiny faith compared to the mountain of doubt. Here's what you have to understand. It's not the size of his faith that mattered, but the object of his faith that mattered most. This guy, he was desperate. He only believed what he heard, but he didn't know for sure. Here's what you have to understand. If you have tiny faith in an infinitely powerful God, it is better than having all of your faith in anything in this finite world. See, Jesus does not rebuke this man's tiny faith, but he does rebuke his disciples' unbelief. He says to his disciples, how long do I have to put up with you? I wonder how many times Jesus says that about me. Jesus was not upset about their lack of power. Jesus was upset about their lack of faith. And how was that lack of faith revealed? Their unbelief was revealed through their prayerlessness. Mark 9, 28, the Bible says that when Jesus entered the house, this is after the boy had been healed, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast that demon out? We've done it before, Jesus. And he said that this kind can be driven out cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This kind is not this kind of demon. It's not like he's some super demon. He's saying here that there are just some things that the only solution is prayer. True, true trust and faith in Jesus will pray. See, the disciples, the reason why they couldn't do it is because they were depending on their own power and strength. They assumed that because they did it before, they could do it again. Oh, my friends, just because you had one spiritual victory a few years ago or a few months ago or a few weeks ago or a few days ago doesn't mean you're going to have the same spiritual victory this time. You say, well, where's that at in the Bible? 
right here. Because it's not these guys' determination. They were determined to get rid of that demon. It wasn't their technique. They used the techniques that they had learned from Jesus. The issue is they had no power. And they had no power because they had no prayer. And he says, this kind of stuff only comes by depending on me in prayer. Prayer is faith turned towards God. Prayer expresses and triggers our reliance on God. If we are aware of our inadequacy to deal with the situation, we will pray. Prayer is a declaration of dependence, and our prayer life is an indicator in how much we really rely on God. I've had people say, Pastor, I've been praying for years for something. I've been asking God for years to do something. And here's what you have to understand. Sometimes God's answer is yes. Sometimes God's answer is no. And sometimes God's answer is later. But what prayer does change, because I've had people say, Pastor, I've been praying for years and nothing has changed. The question is, have you changed? Because if your prayers have not even changed you, I don't even know how much you're really praying. See, if you do not pray, it is either because you have very little problems or you have very little faith. If someone were to come to you and say, what would I do to get more faith? And what would I do if I had more faith? The answer to both of those questions is pray. Pray. Jesus wants them to learn to trust in him for everything. For everything. The same Jesus on the mountain is the same Jesus in the valley. You know, sometimes I need a greater glimpse of the Lord on the mountain. And sometimes I need to experience more of his grace in the valley. And the good news is the same Jesus who did that then is the same Jesus who can do that now. And sometimes the only thing you can do is just pray. And sometimes he rescues you from it and sometimes he rescues it th you through it but you've got to trust him. So what do you need? Do you need a glimpse of Jesus on the mountain to see that this really is God and he can do anything? Or do you need to experience grace in the valley where you're in desperate need of his healing touch? You know, maybe you're like this desperate dad and maybe you need hope and healing. Would you be honest enough to say this morning, Lord, I believe but help my unbelief. See, the gospel is only good for those who come to the end of themselves. It's only good for those who abandon self-reliance and who come humbly and desperately to him. So where are you at? See, the good news of the gospel, I shared the gospel this week with a guy, this Wednesday, and he trusted Christ as his Savior. And I told him this story that you've heard. It's not original with me. I don't know where it's original from. But what makes the gospel different from other religions is that the other religions say you, God is on top of the mountain and you're at the bottom of the mountain. And if you are to ever go to where God is, you've got to climb and try harder and do better and maybe you'll make it to the top of the mountain. But I said the difference between religion and the gospel is that the God on top of the mountain came down to us in the valley of death to bring us up to the mountain of grace. 
And that's the difference. And I said, all you have to do to be saved is just surrender your life. Stop fighting him and trust him. And this guy looked at me. We were at Four Rivers Barbecue. You can get right with Jesus there. And he says, how do I do it? How do I do it? Do, do, and I love it. He's, he's not having a church about it. He said, do I write it down? Do I say it out loud? What do I do? And I said, it's just prayer. You just come to God and you're honest and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. and Surrender your life to him. And so that's where you're at today. So here's what I want us to do. If you are a Christian, praise God. You still need grace. Amen? If you are not a Christian, you're not yet giving your life to Jesus, I've got good news. You can today. So here's what I want us to do. And I want to ask you to do something very courageous, church. I rarely ask you to do this. And I'm not trying to pick anybody out or point anybody out, but here's what maybe you could do today. Maybe you can do something like that dad did. He didn't care what people thought about him. You know what he wanted? He wanted help. So if you're here this morning and you need help, I'm not saying that standing up or doing something is, is what it's going to be. It's faith, right? It's faith and, pride and trust. So if you're here today and you need help, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up where you are and just say this prayer, Lord, have mercy on me. Just stand up where you are, wherever you are, in the room. I don't care. Stand up right now. Have courage. If you need, if you need help, just say, Lord, have compassion on me. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. If you need help, just stand where you are. Just, this isn't to me. This isn't in front of nobody else. If you want, lift up your hands and just say, Lord, have mercy on me. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every one of these people that are standing right now that you would have mercy on them. Whatever their needs are, God, whatever their problems are, God, I pray that you would help it. You would solve it. God, if it's right now they need to give their life to you, Jesus, I pray right now that they would give their life to you. They would surrender their life to you right now. But maybe they are already yours, but they are struggling. They're like that dad that says, I believe, but help my unbelief. God, have mercy on them. Heal their bodies. Heal their marriages. Heal their broken families. Help them, God, to trust you today. Because we will never make disciples if we don't follow Jesus. And we'll never follow you until we trust you. So help us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.